Okay, so let's get into the Bible. Today's message, uh, Ordinary to Emboldened, we're walking through the book of Acts, and we're seeing how the Holy Spirit's power in us takes us from ordinary, everyday, Janes and Joes and Jims and Freds and Susies to empowered and emboldened in the Spirit of God, God's power through us and in us, amen? And today, the title of our message is Resolve Brings Opposition. Spiritual resolve always brings opposition. And we're going to see this play out here in Acts chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 20, and we're going to attempt to get through the rest of chapter 19. Next week is going to be exciting as well because it's Campus Sunday, and uh, the whole service is going to be led by our campus ministry, and uh, Grayson's going to be uh, preaching, and we're going to have a pancake breakfast. Uh, before that, before church, uh, so that's uh, uh, exciting. Okay, let's read here in the Bible, Acts chapter 19. Paul's on his third uh, missionary journey, and um, hey, Carter, could you do me a favor? Sorry, excuse me a second. Could you run down and get my glasses on my, on my desk? <laughs> I tried to borrow someone else's glasses, but... They're just not strong enough or something. Oh, oh. oh, yeah, that's better. Thank you. Practicing Dave's uh, welcome illustration here. You have to get the Holy Spirit lens on here. Okay, so uh, um, let's read here Acts chapter 19, verse 20. Paul is in Ephesus at this time, and we're seeing God do amazing works of power in Ephesus. We ended last time with, remember, $8 million worth of repentance. $8 million. Repentance is costly. If it doesn't cost us anything, actually, it may not be repentance. So repentance is costly, and these guys gave up $8 million worth of sin and burned it and got rid of it. And uh, um, so we see verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The word of God was prevailing over sin over Satan, and uh, God was doing amazing things. Verse 21, now after all these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to talk about point number one, the resolve of the Holy Spirit. The resolve of the Holy Spirit. We see here, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that God was opening a great door for the Word of God and the Spirit of God to work in Ephesus. God was doing amazing things. And that sometimes that's the way it is in our life. Sometimes doors close and sometimes doors open. And God is in control of both. Amen? So we need to not get discouraged when the doors close or get like overly, you know, whatnot, uh, prideful when the doors open. God is simply working in both cases. And so, uh, thank you, buddy. God bless you. Okay. And so uh, um, what we see here, Paul is bolstered in his faith. He's seen God's hand. And so it says here that he purposed in the Spirit purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem and ultimately to go 
to Rome. And he uses a word that's very interesting. He says, I must go to Rome. He uses this word, must. And by the way, why Rome? Well, Rome, Paul's mission assignment from God was to go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And it was through Paul that the Holy Spirit uh, advanced the gospel, not just to the synagogues around the world, but to the Gentiles, to all the non-Jews. God was opening the door, okay? And Paul was the main spearhead of that. He was, the, he was the leader. He was the evangelist. He was the missionary to the Gentiles. So Rome was not just a cool vacation spot, and he had to, I got to get to Rome, because it's, you know, they got cool water streets. No, Rome was the capital of the Gentile world. It was the pillar of the Gentile uh, society, okay? So Paul's got, I got to get to Rome. You know, a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when a Holy Spirit fills a man or a woman, they are a person of resolve, a person of resolve. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, um, this word must, the Greek word is deo, de, it's a, like a D-A, D-E-I is how it's spelled, and it's a, it's a word of necessity, it's a word of conviction. Its contrast is not, must not. The contrast with must is, well, we'll just try. We hope. We want to. It's our desire. No, it's we must. It's an emboldening word. Does that make sense? The best way I could describe this is there was a few years back, we were at a conference in Boston. And the, whole, the kids were there. Carter, Jackson, Jordan, we're all there. We're at a conference in Boston, and we stayed at this hotel that was a high-rise hotel, but it, the lobby, it went out into a, a huge mall in Boston, so it was a high-rise attached to a mall, and the elevators go out into this mall, and it's just super vast, and there's like hundreds of people. It's very crowded, et cetera, so, you know, J Jordan and Carter were, were very small, and they, we were in the room getting ready to go, and Carter and Joy, I can't remember exactly which one, one of them went out and they pressed the door on the elevator. So our room was right near the elevator door. Okay, so you press the door on the elevator, press the button, and the, the car happened to be right there. So guess what? The door opens. What do Carter and Jordan do? They hop into that elevator, and the door shut. And we were like, I don't know exactly if we were still getting ready or what, but it's like, where's Carter? Where's Jordan? I don't know. So they got in the elevator, and they, got, they went down, and the elevator emptied into this mass of people. And we were, I don't know, the 19th or 20th floor or something like that. So Christy and I go into this mode of extreme, I don't know if you want to say panic or urgency. The word is must. At that moment, we didn't think, you know what? Let's try to find them. <laughs> I hope we can find them. Let's aim at finding them. Are you with me there? It was, get in that elevator, grab it, get down, run down the stairs. Jackson, you stay here at the door. I'll go there. Like, and it wasn't a matter of, I hope so. It was, we will find them. It's just a matter of how long and how much trouble they're going to get in. And I'm at this point storing up wrath. 
because I knew I'd find them, and oh, is this going to be a lesson. Are you with me there? See, some, so when the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's not try, want to, we'll give it a little, it's must. We must, I must go to Rome. Are you, it, that's the, 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 the meaning. Um, Jesus, this word was used 26 times in the Gospels. Jesus was a man who must, must describe his character. Um, It is uh, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Let's, let's go over there real quick. Jesus used it all the time, but this is one of the key moments. Jesus says, guys, who, who do the people say I am? Ah, oh, John the Baptist, Elijah. Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says to Peter, well done. That's right. This was revealed to you by my father, in heaven. And then at this point it says in verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man may might need to suffer, possibly. Nope. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. After that, three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. See, the flesh doesn't like plain truth speaking, especially when it comes to the fact that life is hard and there's suffering involved. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, and that would be you and I today, I hope that this is a group that wishes to come after Jesus. Amen? He must deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus explains that I have a cross. I must go all the way through the cross, into the grave, and out in resurrection. I must. Why? Because you and I's souls are on the line. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be easy. And I'm not going to, I don't really want to do it. We see that in Matthew 26. If there's any other way, but I will do whatever it takes, whatever needs to be done. It's a word of necessity. This word must. Whatever needs to be done. When Carter and Jordan were lost, we didn't think, hmm, how much time is this going to take? Oh, how much money do I have to spend? Well, I kind of got a meeting to go to, so I don't know, I'm busy. That's so often how we treat the things of God. We don't have the must conviction, whatever it takes. It's let me give my token effort so I don't feel guilty. And then I'll get on with what the real things that I must do with my life. No way, that's not Jesus and that's not the Holy Spirit. Um, a necessity established by the council. This is the definition. Necessity established by the council and decree of God, especially by that purpose of His, which relates to the salvation of men by the intervention of Christ, etc., etc. Must. The Holy Spirit resolves us to use language of must. You know, there's a few musts of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts that I want us to think about and consider. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Let me just turn over there. I think they're up 
on the screen now. Acts chapter 4. Verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We must be saved. Are you saved today? There's nothing more important than salvation. I know there's a football game later. The result is not more important than where you're going to spend eternity. Now, I know it's important, but it's not more important. We must be saved. How do we know if we're saved? We, we, We are saved only in Christ, only Jesus. Jesus is the only way to be saved. That's a narrow statement, and narrow statements are not popular in our society today. But, but Jesus, here at Acts, says there's only one way to be saved, and that's in Jesus. We must believe in Jesus, repent, and turn to Jesus. Make Him Lord and be baptized into Christ. If you've done only some of those, you're not saved, and you must be saved. You've got to take it out of, hmm, someday I think I might if I get around to it. You got to take it out of that realm into now, today, must. I must be saved. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Why are you risking eternity based on your dilly dallying stuff that you got to do today? Must. Amen? Acts chapter 5, verse 29. The apostles said when they're um, facing persecution and intense things, it says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God. Rather than men, we must obey God. We must be saved. We must obey God. We tend to be crowd followers. We want to fit in the crowd. We want everyone to like us. We don't want to stand out too much. I'm chief sinner of these things. But I got to push comes to shove. I got to decide am I going to obey man or am I going to obey God? And when push comes to shove, you got to stand before God and give an account of whom you obeyed. Whom you obeyed. We must obey God. Why are we giving the crowd so much authority in our life? Why the crowd? Who's the crowd? The crowd's not going to be there for you. The crowd's not going to be your best friend. The crowd's not going to die for your sins. Are you with me? Why give the crowd so much authority in your life? Give Jesus the authority in all of it. We must walk through suffering. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, another must. There's so many throughout the whole Bible. I'm only just skimming off the top here. It says, when they had appointed elders, well, that was verse 20, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. You know, we don't like trials. We don't like suffering. We don't like emotional distress. We don't like anxiety. We have all kinds of drugs. We have all kinds of of, of uh, worldviews going on to eliminate suffering. Whatever we could do to eliminate suffering. And believe you me, with the first hint at a headache, I'm like running to the ibuprofen. Are you, you know what I'm saying? So I'm with you. Yet, I need to su- submit and surrender and understand life is hard. And if you want to be a disciple, it is harder It's not easier. It's harder. 
There's more suffering. Was the cross harder or easier than shirking the cross? And so we want to follow Jesus, but we hollow out that cross. We put padding on it because it's sharp and it's making me itch. Okay? There's sacrifice involved. We must. If we don't go through tribulation, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So are we going to shirk it or are we going to receive it? What's the answer to trouble in our lives? Keep walking. Persevere. God will give you the comfort. God will give you the reason someday. You don't need to know that reason. Why is this happening to me? You don't need to know. You can ask that. That's fine. You can ask God. God takes that question. He can handle that question. But he may give you an answer. He may not. He may say, just trust me. I got you. I'll tell you later. All right? Book of Job. We don't see it. God never told Job the answer. He never told him. He just said his conclusion was, here's who I am, Job. Here's who you are. Let's get this back on straight. And Job did and found great peace and comfort and ultimate blessing, walking through suffering. And lastly, Luke 15 says, when, the, when Jesus, when the prodigal son returned, right, what does, what does the father say we must do? We must rejoice and celebrate for the loss has been found. My son has returned home. Sometimes we get so religious we forget to actually celebrate. The fact that we're saved. The fact that one day in the kingdom of heaven, our worst day is better than the best day in the world that's full of hopelessness and darkness and no answers. Rejoice today. Let's go celebrate Lilia coming home. She's coming home. She wandered and she was lost and she's decided to come home. I'm going to celebrate. And let me tell you, there's been a whole church that has loved this girl and taught Lilia for years. Right? 12 years. I remember when she first came to church. She was six years old. 2006. And Heather was baptized, our first baptism here, uh, December 2nd, 2006. And I remember Lilia. She was so cute and innocent and sweet. And she, she is now, too. But she's also a sinner. That's why she's heading to the river. Let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. And let's all be reminded of the celebration of our own baptism into Christ. What is the Spirit? What must is the Spirit prompting in you this morning? What must is the Spirit prompting in you? Let's read on. So when we get resolved, okay, let's read on. Verse. Where are we at? Verse 23. So whenever the disciples get resolved and come to some conviction and some conclusions about how they're going to follow Jesus, Satan just sits back. He's like, well, good luck. Nope. He gets riled up. So what happens? Resistance, opposition. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Those, these he gathered together with the working of, of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded 
and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Oh, terrible. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours is in, fall, falls into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Wait a second. Listen to yourself for a second. You're worried your God is not going to be God anymore. Well, what kind of God is she? If little Paul, and Paul means Paulos, that means little guy. Seriously. Little Paul is taking down your big God. Maybe they're not much of a God. Okay, so we have some, I want to talk, I want to break this opposition down a little bit. Because there's great insight into opposition in our day. I don't, I don't know if there's too many Artemis worshipers here. But boy, we got lots of gods that are knocking at our door. So there's insight into the opposition. He says, this guy said that tr the trade would lose its good name. So if, if the, our trade is going to lose its... Secondly, the temple would lose its prestige. Okay? The goddess would lose its divine majesty. So therefore, let's get together and oppose Paul. Was any of those things the real issue? Were any of those, what was the real issue? Greed was the real issue. Greed disguised as something honorable, disguised as national patriotism and religious zeal. Okay? That's the real issue to the opposition. Now let's read on to the course and see what happens. Okay? Um, verse 28, when they heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. When Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Paul's like, bring it on, man. Let, I'm running to the fight. That's what they sang that morning at church. Run to the fight. So Paul's like, get me in there. They're like, whoa, dude, hold up. You, you could get killed in there. I've, I've, already, I've already died. I've already died. What would being killed in the flesh even mean? Okay, so verse 31. Also, some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. Now, Asiarchs are political leaders. So Paul had relationships with the politicians and the political leaders in Ephesus. It's interesting. Um, so then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Hmm. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. Uh, we don't even know if Alexander's a disciple. He's a Jew. So he's confused too. Like, um, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. Great is Artemis. Uh, what is going on? It's interesting, right? Um, we'll pick up there. So there's, they're furious. They're shouting. But they don't know what they're shouting for. There's confusion. There's panic. 
It's completely unreasonable. Completely unreasonable. I've seen some disciples be opposed. And some of the things that they're opposed for, it's so interesting. You know what? I've stopped sleeping with my girlfriend. I've repented. I want to follow Jesus. And the parents are like, what? That's horrible. Are you in a cult? Wait, wait a second. What just happened there? Are you with me? I've stopped doing drugs. I've stopped smoking. I've stopped looking for pornography. I stopped doing this and all that. And I'm because I'm repenting. I'm going to follow Jesus. What's wrong with you? Did anyone stop and think, wait a second? That's awesome. <laughs> See, did you guys get what I'm saying? The opposition here is very confused. They don't know what's going on. And so this guy steps in, not a disciple, a, a, a city clerk, and he speaks truth mostly truth, into the confusion. Listen to this, and then we'll be done. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there, after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So, since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session <laughs> and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly." For indeed we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. And Paul's like, thank you. <laughs> but there's a lot, there's, there's good points. First of all, the termination of this. It says, the world knows Ephesus is the guardian of Artemis. Listen, the cult of Artemis is not in danger. There's a few disciples, guys. Don't freak out, okay? These men are innocent. They're not guilty of sacrilege or blasphemy, okay? They're innocent. Um, and then he's like, listen, we have a system in place. If you've got something against them, take them to court, File a lawsuit. In essence, we say, if it's beyond a private lawsuit, then we have this city council meeting in a few weeks. Bring it up there. So basically, he's saying he's seen through all this furious, you know, crazy confusion and just being like, hey. And, and then he says, here's the dagger. Matter of fact, crowd, you're the ones, actually, who are in danger of getting a lawsuit against you because you're being incredibly unlawful. Okay. So, so what does all, all this mean? Here's some lessons. Number one, Jesus is king of kings. We have King Jesus coming in conflict with King Artemis. And guess who's winning? Guess who's freaking out and guess who's not freaking out? And guess who's won historically? Jesus is the king of kings. She wasn't a god. I love this. God, drop down from heaven. No, actually, you just created her in the shop. Uh, but anyways, that's not the point. Jesus is the king of kings. Secondly, Jesus' kingdom will advance, either aided by human government or will overcome human governments 
No human form of opposition will ever prevail long-term against Christianity and against his kingdom. And then lastly, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus our king? Are we seeking first his kingdom? If we resolve to make Jesus Lord and seek him first, opposition is coming your way, but stay the course because the opposition will not win out in the end. Remember, Paul is not just a theologian. He's a diplomat. He's saying, listen, every time there's opposition from, from the Jews or whoever, it's actually the Roman government who steps in and says, mm, these guys are fine. Amen? Does that make sense? And so the path is continuing to be paved to spread the gospel to be spread all throughout the world uh, by the assistance, actually, of the Roman government. Okay, how about you? Are you being opposed? Stay calm. Know that the truth is on your side. When there's, truth, when there's faulty truth or half-truths or somewhat truths, there's confusion, there's manipulation, there's shouting for two hours, right? But when, when, the, when, when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And you can be secure in that. But expect the opposition. It's coming.